Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight is on artist manager Jason Davis. Jason is a shining example of the many ways to arrive at a career in music. He found songwriting success at a young age, but through a combination of humility and self-knowledge, saw that his passion and talents were better used on behalf of other artists. Jason has many and varied business interests in the entertainment industry, but it is artist-manager that he most relates with and identifies as. Jason was open and generous with his experience and vulnerability. I hope you enjoy our talk. Hello. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Where are you? I am in my office in Florida. Oh, wow. You guys don't have COVID there, do you? Uh, well, I don't have COVID, but I'm sure some people do. <laughs> yeah. How is it there? It's nice. Uh, weather's nice. Um, but I also have an office in Nashville, but in, in, uh, Florida for today. Gotcha. Are you, uh, are you able to move around and like how, how normal is life at this point down there? It's pretty, um, I'm going to change it to this. Way. It's pretty, it's pretty normal. So, I mean, you have to wear like a mask to go into the restaurants and stuff like that. But besides that, it's not too bad. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm just south of Seattle and I've got my um, I've got my first appointment on Thursday to get uh, the first round of vaccine. So, wow. Yeah, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Man, I, I, I sure hope that this doesn't go on much longer. It's pretty I, I, I was thinking yesterday i was like man this has been going on for a year a year so yeah hopefully that soon so have um i have to ask because I, I for me um I, I don't know what life was like for you before covid but i i pretty much spent the majority of my adult life on an airplane i mean i was literally on the road every week and um last friday was a year since i've flown and wow. uh, I wonder just how, what's, what's been the lifestyle impact for you? Like, have you, are you home more? Are you around loved ones more? Like what, what's been sort of the personal impact for you? Uh, I would say last March when everything shut down, uh, there was a, I would say two month period, two and a half month period where I was pretty much home every single day. Um, that has not happened in, two decades yeah. or plus. And so that was, uh, that was actually, it was pretty amazing. Um, I, I haven't had that much rest and, and little work to do in many years. So enjoyed that. But then I would say a couple months later, everything kind of started picking up and I started traveling. I mean, I've been traveling ever since I, I've probably been on flights once or twice a month on average, you know, ever since maybe June of last year. And at first it was really cool. Um, I've never been on a private jet, but I, the first flight I got on was probably June and there maybe was three or four other people on the entire plane. And I literally, I, I said to myself, this is what it's like to have a private jet. 
Um, and then, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then every, every flight after that, there would be, you know, a few more people, you know, on the, on the flight than the last flight. So now, now the flights are, are packed. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't live that far from, uh, the airport, uh, outside of Seattle. And I can just tell from the air traffic that things are, it, it's, it's back to like every few minutes, there's a plane taking off or landing, you know, it's uh whereas for a few months there, like the skies were dead. It was like yeah. a, a few flights a day. It was crazy. It was really strange to notice. Well, I do remember, I mean, we, we, there was a couple of artists I worked with that had some shows here and there, you know, not a lot for those first several months. But um, I do remember I was trying to get to a show and every time I would book a flight, the airline would cancel it, you know? So, I mean, flights were getting canceled like crazy back then. So thankfully it seems like flights are getting canceled quite a bit less now. So, yeah. And uh, just one last question. I'll, I'll move on from this, but are the, um, it, it's, it's pretty much like normal flying. Like it's, it's seats are full. There's no empty seats. Like packs. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Is it yeah. nerve wracking or you feel okay with it now? I, I, um, I don't know the the entire time, like I've not personally felt any kind of concern or fear. Um, so I don't know. It just, it doesn't really phase me too much. Yeah. And what's that, what's that about you? Is that, um, is that, a, uh, are you I, like, how do you, what do you attribute that to? Cause I'm kind of the opposite and I never thought of myself as like a scared person. I'm definitely not a scared person, but for whatever reason, like I, I for me, I think it triggers like a lack of control thing. Oh, yeah. definitely. I mean, I, I, I do feel that with certain things in my life. I mean, wh when I'm actually on an airplane and there's turbulence and stuff like that, I, I, I'm always like, this is not the way I want to go down. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I don't know, for some reason with this, I've just always viewed it as, and I'm, uh, listen, I'm, I mean, I know a lot of people have died from this um, and I'm not discounting that at all, but I, I view it, you know, that there's just, there's a lot of people that are constantly dying over things and, you know, people die every year over the regular flu. And so I've kind of always viewed it like, well, if I get it, it's probably going to be like a really bad flu, you know, or, or maybe, maybe worse, but, um, but I immediately once this happened, I, um, went on a pretty serious vitamin regimen and I've always gotten like colds, uh, or, uh, you know, I've always gotten sick at least once or twice a year, every single year in my adulthood, because I'm always working and traveling and not taking as good care of myself as I should. And um, I started on the vitamins last, um, I think, well, probably last March. And this is probably the first year I could remember where I haven't ca caught a cold or anything. So um, I don't know. I feel like I'm on a really good vitamin regimen and my vitamin levels are really good. So I don't really feel too afraid of getting sick. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that helps at all. No, but. no, that's, that's, that's good. I'm glad. I mean, I'm, it's, and it's nice to talk to somebody who's, um, who's a little bit more back to normal than we are up here. We're, um, we're, we're just starting to, um, to open up more. Um, we had, we had some, um, we had some loosening of the restrictions, but a lot of businesses couldn't make the economics work even right. you know, initially anyway. So it stayed closed, I think, longer than sort of 
technically it had to. Um, it's just that, you know, at a diminished scale, like no venues have opened up yet, even though they can restaurants are just now moving to, I think 50% capacity. And we're starting to see more of those open up. It's also been wow. interesting to see new businesses start though. There's been a bunch of new restaurants that have opened, um, who I think have had a chance to like test out their kitchen just on delivery. They haven't had the wow. full. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think there's going to be some, uh, that's you know, pretty cool. Yeah. There'll be some, some good news. I think once the smoke clears yeah. from all this. Um, yeah. so where are you from? You're in Florida now, but where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, New Jersey. So, um, uh, Northwest New Jersey next to Pennsylvania, oh. really small town. I think there was about 1300 to 1500 people in the town that I grew up in. And, um, everybody knew each other. You know, I knew every kid that was in that town. Uh, there was one school. Um, so a pretty small town in New Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, what, uh, what role did, did music and pop culture play in your life when you were growing up? Um, well, I was always drawn to it. Uh, I, I, my first memories are me carrying around my house, like almost like a blanket for some kids. I would carry around a plastic Mickey Mouse guitar um, and I would bring it to the dinner table. Like I wouldn't let it leave my side um, and I would try to play it a lot. And then um, my friend across the street, he had album covers, record vinyl covers pinned on his bedroom wall. And I remember being very fascinated by that. Um, one of my earliest memories is me seeing Kiss on television for the first time. Yeah, and I remember getting on my knees, like crawling to the TV set and like putting my face right next to the TV set, like watching like fire come out of their mouths. And I, I just, I couldn't even believe like what I was seeing. So music was always like very large to me. And um, I think I wrote my first song when I was five or six um for my first band like real i tried to form a band when i was six but we didn't know we had to do anything but um for my first band when i was 13 um and also too there was a lot of dysfunction in my household when i was a teenager and uh, there was a lot of kind of abusive stuff with my dad towards me and um you know i, I would hear my dad like really call my mom a lot of bad names in the house and just kind of beat her up emotionally. Mm -hmm. And um, that had an effect on me. And when my dad was started becoming physically abusive with me as a teenager, um, I didn't really have anybody I could talk to because when you're 13 and you're getting beat, um, you can't really talk to an adult because you're afraid that your dad will go to jail and if he goes to jail, like you're aware enough to know, like, would we lose everything or would he come out of jail and kill me or, and then you can't really talk to friends when you're 13, because if you're crying on a friend's shoulder, you're probably an immediate loser at 13. Tough age. Yeah. It's a tough age to be vulnerable. And, and so like, I really didn't have anybody I could talk to. So my cousin was throwing away an acoustic guitar that her boyfriend had, or my older cousin, her boyfriend had bought her. And I couldn't believe she was throwing a guitar away. And I was like, well, if you're throwing it in the garbage, like, can I have it? And I had been begging my parents for a guitar. And um, I brought that acoustic guitar into my bedroom and it, it became, it became my everything. It became like my 
girlfriend. It became my therapist. It, it became my best friend. Um, and, uh, so I, I would, I would, uh, I would cry to it, you know? And, and so I, I started writing songs when I was 13 about what I was going through. And it was kind of a way for me to tell people what I was going through, but not revealing it too heavily where my dad could be implicated. So I would kind of write a song shrouded in mystery, you know, a painful song. And I would like, if you were my friend, I would, we'd be hanging out in my room and I'd play it for you. And you would just think it was kind of like a deep, cool sounding song. But to me, I was like telling you, like, I'm really going through some hard things right now uh, without having to say it. So music was just huge for me and it, it saved my life in many ways. Um, and there was also one other time when I was 13 where I literally went downstairs in the middle of the night to, in, in my kitchen, my parents' house, and um, I took out all the pill bottles from their cabinets and I was going to kill myself at 13 just to try to escape what I was going through with my dad. And um, I heard this voice in my head that said, if I took the pills that I would escape. And I really believe to this day that that was Satan. And, um, and then I heard another voice in my head right after that, that said, if I take the pills, I'll never be able to listen to Def Leppard again. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, and I really believe, I really believe that God used that band, you know, God knew what a 13 year old boy needed to hear to put the pills away. Right. And I, I believe God saved my life that day and used music and used my love for an artist to do that. So that's that's really like the driving force of what I've always done and why I do what I do kind of thing. Cause you know, I, I know firsthand that music can save a life cause it, it was used to save mine. So I know it's a long answer, but that, that, that's what it means to me. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, was your, was your initial aspiration, um, to solely be on the creative side or did you always have an interest in business? Like, did, was there a period of time where um, you weren't going to be in the business side? You just wanted to be an artist or a writer? Yeah. Well, when I was a teenager, so I formed my first band, you know, like I said, when I was 13 and I was the singer of that band, uh, a very bad singer, but uh, I was the singer of that band. And my dream was to be a rock star um i wanted to be like these 80 rock stars and you know play arenas and i didn't realize it at the time but that was i thought that that would fill a void the void that i had i i felt that maybe like that attention would make me feel loved or make me feel you know accepted uh just cuz of what was going on at home um but you know i never really had like tons of drive to take it much outside of like my little town or our backyard little concerts. And I was presented a couple of minor opportunities to maybe take it a little further. And, and it, I was always confused because I, I never felt an interest to do that. Hmm. I just, I really fell in love with writing songs um, because th that was like the therapy I really needed. So I, th I think, and, and interestingly enough, that's what God used to get me into the business was a song I wrote, not for me, because I wasn't a good singer, but it, for another artist. So um, had a dream of being an artist, but never really wanted it bad enough to go after it on a serious level. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that part of the journey of um, 
you know, becoming, uh, if, if this is the right way to say it, becoming a professional songwriter? Like, how did you go from young person, passionate about music, playing music, uh, creating very important cathartic songs for yourself, um, to all of a sudden having other people sort of find success with your music? So um, what I would do is I would always in, in school, I would always gravitate towards friends that played music. And two of the people that I gravitated towards in school, they had like little baby recording setups in their parents' houses. Mm. So they would have like, it was called a four track back then. Um, and then they had eight ats. Um, but I, I was always drawn to musical friends and two of them had like recording stuff in their parents' house. And I just couldn't even believe that like they had stuff that you could record on because I used to try to record my songs on a tape recorder um, and they never, it never sounded that good. So I became like super close with these couple of friends that would record stuff. And I stayed friends with them for many years. And so maybe once a year, I would kind of talk them into recording like anywhere from one to four of my best songs. Um, and I was writing a lot more than other friends of mine. So I think these couple of friends were, they were writing songs, but they were a little bit more into recording. Um, so I think maybe they viewed me as one of a few of their friends that, Hey, like I could get content to have fun in the studio and we could try to record something. So I would record maybe one to four songs a year with friends. And I would always give those, cassette tapes or eventually CDs out to like, you know, a few friends or coworkers or family members. Um, and in the beginning, when I started recording, I started recording probably at 16. When I started recording the recordings and the songs that I was writing in my voice, everything was really, it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> especially like on, compared to like a pro level. And so in the beginning, like I would actually have people make fun of me you know, um, you know, friends or coworkers or, but it never phased me because I was the one in my bedroom that kept noticing every six months to a year that I would get a little bit better. Mm. So I would, I would notice that my songs from this year were better than last year, just a little bit. And so when people would kind of like laugh at my recordings or, you know, say it sounded terrible, it didn't really affect me because I felt like I was going somewhere and where I was going, I didn't think was the industry. I just thought I was going improving, you know, it would be like, you know, you, you play golf and you're not good and somebody's joking around because you hit the ball in the woods, but like, you know, that your swing is actually getting better than it was two months ago. So I just kept doing it. And, and over the next, you know, from 16 to 23 over those I would say seven years, I would just always once a year give out, you know, to 10, 15, 20 friends, coworkers, family members, like songs I had recorded that year. Wow. And, and over the years it got, it went from like, you know, you stink to, wow, you're pretty good. Or like, you're not bad. Or, and then I remember when I was 22, I recorded a batch of songs and I had, I actually had a couple of people say to me, like, you should do this professionally. Like you're really good. Like, I can't believe that's your song. And, and of course that surprised me because I would, I would always hear that I stunk. Um, but what happened was one of the guys that was recording me, 
he the song that I wrote that landed on a record I wrote when I, I wrote recorded when I was 22 I didn't know this but he started using it as his example out of his parents house to show people what he could do for them if they would record with him uh. so like when he would have friends or people come to his parents house and be like yeah i have a song i want to record he would play my song as an example and say hey for 500 bucks or 300 bucks i could could do this for you and um one of those people that stopped by his house actually was in a from a signed band that had broken up and the and it was the keyboard keyboard player of this band and he was trying to figure out how he, he could get a solo record deal because he knew all the record labels because he was in a signed band. So he went to this guy's house to record some stuff he wrote to try to shop it to labels. And this guy played him my song as an example. And, you know, to, you know, hey, this is what I could do if you pay me money. And, and, um, and the guy, uh, the artist recognized it as like a really good song and ended up putting it on his demo and he shopped it to labels and the label that was interested in the song was not interested in him, but asked him who wrote the song. And that then the label tracked me down and that's how I landed my first song on a record. That is incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Wow. And what was the song? It was a song called Captured. It was by an artist named Aaron Benward. And what's the song mean to you? I mean, today, I think when I wrote it, I was writing it about like hugging trees. But um, I mean, today it's it's like the seed that started, you know, that it was kind of like almost like the seed that gave me life. Um, it changed my life. I mean, the trajectory of my life has massively changed and dreams that like, I didn't even know I could actually dream came true. And, you know, and now I'm, you know, able to help other people, you know, reach, reach their dreams. So I, I couldn't even really put fully into words what it, what it means, but it changed, it changed my life. Well, let me, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, so you, uh, this artist, um, basically through a chain of events, um, your song gets picked up, recorded, put on an album. What's that mean for you as like, like what's the next thing that happens for you then? Are, do you get a publishing deal? Does somebody say, Hey, go take six months and bring us 10 more songs. Like what, what happens in that situation to somebody? Um, I did get interest from publishing companies um, I never got an offer from a publishing company like Zamba publishing back in the day. Like mm. I remember this guy, Eric Beal, who's still in the publishing business, but he, he had a meeting with me and he was really interested in me, but his boss wasn't. Um, so I, I had a couple of close calls to publishing deals, but um, for me, that A&R from that label, it was an EMI label that A&R, you know, obviously like the song, he asked me if I had any other songs. So I sent him demos that I'd recorded over the years of what I thought were, you know, maybe three more songs that I thought were pretty good. And he took two of those songs um, and put them on other records. So, so that, you know, from that relationship, I landed 
three songs on records. And then another fluke thing happened where the same guy, the same uh, parent home studio guy, he had recorded a record. He had recorded a demo with a, a, a girl from New York who um, sang in Spanish. And I mean, literally he's doing this out of his parents' house and it's the same, it was the same guy. And she ended up getting a record deal with a company called Way Latina, which was based out of Miami. And at the time they were kind of like Warner Brothers Spanish label. So they were, they were a pretty big label for Latin music back then. And um, uh, they asked if, if he had any other songs for the record and he didn't really write tons. So he actually played them some of my songs because he knew like songs were getting picked up on records and um, they ended up liking them. And so I ended up on that record. Um, I think it was four songs I wrote landed on that record. So th that was seven songs I landed on records. Um, and then I had some other opportunities to write with a few other pretty big people like like star like level but it just they never really like connected like i would have vice presidents of labels say hey i want you to write with natalie and brulia and then three weeks later they would say oh she's done writing and like it just it wasn't really fully connecting so i don't know I, and, and that's when i started really developing a passion to find artists and try to help artists get into the same meetings that i was getting into um, and I, and I really developed a passion more for like the management business side of things. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, uh, two things. One, um, do you still speak with the guy from the studio? And two, um, you know, was that after, so you've got seven songs on records now. Um, was your self image of like, now you're a professional, like, was it putting money in your pocket? Was that, was that your day job at that point? Or were you? were you on this other path and, and the, and the songwriting was just like coming at you? Like, were, were you planning on doing something else? Well, I, at the time, I mean, when the music thing happened, I mean, I was like, I was working a sales job in, in, in home improvements. And uh, I mean, I never thought I would get into music. I, I didn't even think of it. Cause I, I didn't think it was possible. Um, when the music thing first happened and I got that call, um, from the label, I ended up quitting my job and I moved back in with my father and begged him, you know, to, to give me some time to try to figure this out. And so he, he agreed to give me about a year where I could live with him and figure it out without rent or anything. So, uh, I just started pounding the pavement in, in New York, but that first year, actually I made double from music, what I was making at my sales job. So for me, it was, I mean, I was able to get my own apartment, you know, at 23, like actually probably 24, I moved out from my dad's house. I got an apartment, um, was able to actually afford it. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, from year one, I like doubled what I was making at the day job I had. So I was able to thank God to leave that, um, and, and I do not, unfortunately, I don't talk to the person from the studio anymore. We, we had a, a pretty brutal falling out, unfortunately. Um, and uh, it's a sad, sad thing, but we don't anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the point where you said you started to pivot more to the management side and wanting to help other artists. Um, what did that look like for you? Was that, um, was that some realization of it was too hard to make it as a creative? Like you were like lightning struck and you didn't want to press your luck with it or, you know, like what's, what's the thought process there? It was a combination of a few things. Um, first, I think, you know, within the first year, I mean, I wanted to stay in this so bad. I couldn't even believe I was doing it. Yeah. And I just, I just didn't want to go backwards and like have to go get a day job again. And so I was trying to figure it out pretty quickly. And I think, you know, within the first year, I realized that I was just not that amazing of a songwriter. And even though I was landing songs on records, only one of them was a hit song. And I knew what I was writing at home. And it just wasn't that great. You know, it, it wasn't like I was writing songs every month where I was like, wow, that's a great song. I, I was writing a bunch of songs, trying to do it again, trying to repeat the songs I had written in the, you know, previously trying to write more great songs. And there was just like a lot of average not good songs coming out of me. <laughs> so I, I, I did not believe very firmly. I did not believe that I was going to be able to sustain myself as a songwriter. And I felt like this passion to try to find artists. And the very first artist I ever found, I had zero idea what I was doing, but I bulldozed with persistence my way into, you know, Sony music in New York. Um, and I pitched this girl that I found and I had, I really had zero clue what I was doing. And the A&R guy who was a VP of A&R at the time, he actually recognized me as a manager. Like he saw me bulldozing my way into a label with persistence on an artist's behalf, which is obviously what a manager is. But I didn't know that that's what a manager was. I didn't know what the title really was. I didn't know what I was. I just thought I was a songwriter and I was trying to, I felt this passion to find artists. And he said to me in the meeting, he's like, he's like, so are you her manager? And I was like, I I don't, I don't know. And, you know, and, and and I was actually asking, I was like, should I be her manager? And, and he's like, well, do, do you feel a desire to be her manager? And I was like, I don't know what I feel like, but if you think I should be her manager, I'll be her manager. And I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe I was in Sony. And he said, he goes, well, I think you should be her manager. And, and I walked out of Sony that day and I was like, I felt like I had a title for what I was passionate about doing, mm-hmm. which is finding artists. And I was, and I said to myself, I was like, I, I guess I'm a manager. And, and so th- that, that's kind of the day I realized that that was the title. And, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how it happened. And so I'm, I'm assuming just based on some of the timeline you've told me in your story, this wasn't the days where you could go home and Google and say, what does a manager do? And then let me get all that information and let me download sample contracts or um, scripts or templates. Um, so I, I, but I'm totally hip to the idea of like, I'm a manager because I say I am like, that's, you right. know, I, I can, I can, I can understand that, but um what did you do? You know what I mean? Like, so you're her manager. Great. How did you, how did you manage? Uh, I managed pretty terribly. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was, it was not pretty for a number of years. Uh, 
you know, I, I was really, I, I've always been, I feel like I'm a little bit of a slow learner. I feel like once I get something and once I learn something, I'm, 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 it's solid and I'm good at it, but I'm, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I'm a little slow sometimes to learn, which is not always a great thing, but you know, it's 23 years in now. So I've had a lot of time to learn, but in the beginning years, it was, it was pretty rough. I mean, I didn't know how to handle artists. I didn't know how to talk to artists. I didn't know how to care about artists. I didn't know how to deal with labels. I didn't know how to talk to labels. Um, in the beginning, I, I definitely pissed off a few labels. Um, I was probably, well, I definitely was viewed as an amateur by some labels in the beginning. Um, and you know, I didn't have great relationships with artists. Uh, I, I was, I was pretty, and the crazy part is like, I had enough successes to sustain it and to keep it going, but it's really kind of, it, it's really a miracle that I made it through. Um, because, I, because I really, because I really didn't know what I was doing and I really wasn't good at it for sadly to say, but for, for several years, you know, like for qu quite a long time, I was learning on the job and had blind spots and would get hit in those blind spots and, and, you know, learn from getting hit in those blind spots, you know? And so it, it was slow growth for sure. Yeah. Our industry seems to be particularly good at finding the blind spot in somebody and then, and then tickling that blind spot go, going right at it. You know? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, a car crash in that blind spot. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what was the moment where you got it or you knew you got it? Or did you, did you wake up one day, you know, sitting in an office in a chair saying, wow, I, I did it. Like I got here. Was there, you know, did you, did you, did you have a graduation moment where you knew, um, wow, all this time of learning on the job has now led to a thing. I feel like I've always had those moments, like, you know, maybe a few times a year. I just have them. I, I, I feel like I, I've every year I've had a few moments where I'm just have a moment where I'm like, I, I really cannot believe that this all happened for me and that I, that I've gotten some of the experiences I've gotten and, and seen some of the things I've seen and, and been in some of the rooms I've been in and, and, and that, you know, that I'm actually still able to do this. Like, you know, I, I probably have those moments a few times a year. I don't really feel like I've ever graduated. I would say, and I know it sounds crazy, but in 23 years of doing this, I feel like I got good at it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say like, Oh, I'm the best ever, you know, I'm, I'm amazing at this, but I would say that I, I feel like I got good at it. Um, you know, probably more within the last three, four, five years, you know, I would say maybe three, four years is, has been really, uh, I don't know, the last maybe three years, I feel like, wow, like I've gotten, I've gotten pretty good at this. Like, you know, like I actually know what I'm doing. Um, and I know it sounds crazy because I've been doing it for so long and I, I have had successes, but there was always just areas where I just didn't really know what I was doing, or I was maybe good at one thing, but not good at others or, mm. you know, for, for, for what I had to do every day. Um, 
So it, it's been more in recent years. Yeah. Well, and managers are, are, are forced to be such generalists and to know so many different aspects of the business. And especially now, especially as the business has changed in the last 20 years or so. But one, one thing I'm curious about, it was a little bit hard to tease out when I was learning about you in preparation for our conversation. It seems like you ha- you're involved in a lot of different things and a lot of different mm-hmm. businesses. And I wonder, like, when you get up in the morning, what's your job? Um, I think it's, it's part finding artists, part developing the artists that I've found or I'm working with. And that could be pre-record deal or in a record deal or, you know, I mean, it's, I, I have artists right now that I've been working with for six or seven years and, and, and they, they've had hits on the radio and they've, they've done big tours and, and there's still little details where, you know, it can, it can improve. It could get better. Um, we still are dialing it in, you know, and in a sense it's still being developed. So I feel like it's just, I feel like part of what I do is coaching. I feel like I'm doing a lot of teaching and coaching, especially for the artists that either don't have record deals or the artists that are in record deals, you know, on their first album cycle. I feel like I'm just endlessly teaching, coaching, guiding. Um, And then I would also say a big part of what I do is, you know, just dealing with people in the industry that that artist would have to work with, whether it's fostering or working you know, relationships with, you know, booking agents or other managers, Um, you know, other managers come in handy when you're, you know, working on a tour, you know, whether it's my artist is the opening act or my artist is a headliner, like having good manager relationships is important for me. And obviously having good relationships with people at labels um, and having relationships with good songwriters and producers and, um, so I, I would, I would say on, on a daily basis, that's, you know, the, the different things I've, I've been involved in, they're really more than anything, just different genres of music I've touched upon so that there's been certain moments or seasons where I might meet someone along my journey that might have more experience in some, you know, in a certain genre of music than I do. And we end up, you know, partnering together on an artist or working together on an artist. And in some of those cases, you know, they've been like more the lead on it and I'm learning from them or, you know, they're teaching me along the way. In some cases, it's been me leading. Um, But I would say more than anything else, those different things I've been involved in, it's really, you know, company names that were formed where it's like me and, you know, I met somebody in we ended up working on an artist together kind of thing. So kind of purpose built. Yeah. 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 So um, your, your primary, your sort of primary business self is you're, you're an artist manager. Like that, that's it's, you're not a label executive primarily. You're not a, you're not a producer primarily or a songwriter primarily. You're an artist manager. Yep. And, and I think because like what you said, because today, like you have to be able to cover so much ground I mean, there's moments in an artist's journey where you're a manager, but you almost have to act like a label, you know, or, or, you know, you're a manager and you have to act as a booking agency. 
Um, you know, so I think, you know, like, okay, like, like what is a really good manager look like for this artist in this season of their life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, when everything shut down last year, the booking agencies were, were, you know, stopped cold in their tracks. So we had artists that, you know, needed some sort of activity or needed shows. And what did we do? Like we switched gears and, and, and I do have a partner where we have a booking agency together. Um, I mean, it's, it's 90% him or actually it's probably 98% him doing everything. But in that moment, in that season, we needed to be a booking agency you know, so it was like my whole, the, the whole management teams, our, our goal as manager was like book shows, you know, and, and we're going to do the contract and we're going to, you know, we're going to make sure that, you know, this show has everything that they need, you know? And so I feel like as a manager, like you, you at different seasons of an artist's journey have to operate almost like your different businesses. Um, and so that, that has led me to gravitate. Like when I met uh, this partner of mine where we have a booking agency together, when I got to know him, I realized like there was some things I could bring to him, but he had this booking thing down. And, and I was like, man, I need you. Like, we need that for our artists. Like that is a huge skill. Like, on how to do that well. And I have no idea, you know, being open, I have no idea how to do that well, but I started to learn from him, you know, how, how you operate as a booking agency, like, you know, at a decent level. So I think, you know, it's all been out of a desire to be a better manager. Um, that's led me to those different avenues. Yeah. It, you, you, there's a lot in there that you said, but one thing that, that I wanted to touch on was um, you said, you know, sometimes uh, depending on the season, the manager takes on the function or does a lot of the work that maybe a record label would have done in the past. And I wonder, um, I, I, that's it. That I've, I've heard that theme frequently, usually in relation to like kind of overseeing or really banging the drum of advocacy, like with the marketing plans or setups and rollouts. And I wonder, is that what you're referring to? Or like, what, what, what do you have to do wearing your manager hat that maybe you didn't have to do 15, 20 years ago as it relates to the work a label does? Uh, I think making sure the artist is well-developed, um, uh, making sure the artist is knowledgeable, um, making sure the artist is solid enough live, um, making sure the artist has the right song to go out of the gate with, you know, to, to their, their first radio single, like, is it really good enough? Uh, thinking through, you know, a lot of times with a label, you know, I'm offering ideas and suggestions of who this artist that the label just signed should be writing with. Because, you know, if, if you think about it, like, no one knows the artist as well as I do. You know, I'm talking to the artist every single day, and I've been in the trenches with the artist, and I know them personally inside and out. I know what makes them tick. You know, I know what food they like. So when it comes to, you know, who's the right people to sit in a room with this artist, the label could kind of guess, but they don't know the, the person super deeply. Whereas I might know the vision better or know the sound better or, or, 
Um, and so when I get clued into those things, there, there are times where the label hasn't really figured that thing out yet, but yet I've, because I'm just a little closer to the artist. So I might start directing on, you know, touching upon, you know, I'm not this, I could never be a great A&R person at a label uh, at all, but at least touching upon what their job is, which is, you know, to set up co-writes and who's the right team for this artist and what's the right sound and direction. And um, so I, I think th the, those, those are things that I'm, pretty passionate about and definitely work on. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you would have been an A&R. Like you, it sounds like you had all the, the skills and the mindset to be a really great A&R of that era. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe like, I, I will say like, as I work with really good A&Rs, I realize that there's certain strengths that they have that I definitely don't have. Um, and if I had their job, I don't think I would be successful at it at all. Um, I feel very confident about that. So it's, it's interesting. Like there's definitely certain A&R skills that I know I have that I'm pretty good at. Like I'm pretty good at identifying what's a better song than, than the others. I'm pretty good at identifying songs, not amazing, but I'm pretty good at it. Uh, when it comes to production, I'm good at a 30,000 foot view of like, I think this producer could be a good fit. I'm good at knowing like what producer could be good. But once you get into the weeds of production, like the drum sounds and the keyboard sounds, uh, I'm pretty hit or miss on that. Um, you know, and, and I think that's an important thing that a lot of the A&Rs I work with are really good at, at least the good ones. Um, and sometimes I get it right, but there's quite a few times where I'm off, you know, and so definitely have some skills in that area, but probably not all of the skills that I would need to be great at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of COVID, um, has the mission or the mandate of how you view what you have to do on behalf of your artists changed, um, and or sort of what's what's the next thing on your like you know uh, we're, we're starting to see the world open up. What's that mean for you and your artists right now? Uh, we're just starting to get we're just starting to see more activity from the booking agencies. Um, we're getting more show offers. We're getting more you know we're, we're talking about tours, you know, um, and the tours actually like look like they're not going to get canceled. Like so, <laughs> I, I think just seeing the calendar fill up with shows is uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would say the artists I've been working with, they've been doing shows, but they're just really, they've been very sporadic. They've been a lot smaller. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you've seen um, that either you would hope changes or that you think is an opportunity for positive change coming out of COVID? Like, has this been a reset in any way or a reassessment in any way? Or for you is your perspective of let's just get back to normal as fast as possible. Um, I think this season probably has made me reflect a little bit deeper on, you know, how, how, how am I as a husband? 
to my wife and, you know, I think before COVID I never slowed down at all and it was just going nonstop and obviously that's not healthy and she deserves 20 times better than that. Um, so I think it's like the COVID thing really like helped me slow down and learn to be a little bit more intentional with her. Um, and I'm not saying I'm doing this amazing job at it, but it's definitely better than it was. So, yeah, I, that's a common theme. I think I, I, I would, I would second that in terms of just, um, just the amount of time around my loved ones in the last year and what that's meant. Um, and sometimes, you know, they might not want me around as much, <laughs> but, but that's okay too. Right. Cause it brings other things to the fore that maybe, um, have to get dealt with that or that weren't dealt with, or right. it's a deeper, deeper level of like knowing the person. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, even, even the difficult stuff ends up sort of contributing to the, to the positive. So, yeah. Um, but I, uh, I really appreciate you taking time to, um, to talk today. It's really, uh, your insight and your humility and, uh, it's just, it's, 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 I've enjoyed getting to know you. Um, and I hope that, uh, as you, as the world emerges, that it's a, it's a, it is a positive for you and your artists and that, um, you guys are able to, to get back to things and create. Yeah. And, and I've enjoyed talking to you too. And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jason Davis. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. Join us again next week. And in the meantime, be safe and stay in touch. Stay in touch.